0: Hi, folks, and welcome to Humans of the Pro Life Movement, an initiative of the Pro Life Guys podcast where we explore the lives of the courageous men and women who are making sacrifices for the weakest and most vulnerable members of the human family. The people who are spending time on street corners, on campuses, and on doorsteps having conversations about abortion, changing minds, saving lives, and transforming our culture. Today, I'm joined by a friend and colleague um, in. United States Lincoln how are you doing
1: Cameron good to see brother hope you're doing well hope you guys are staying bundled up there close to the North Pole
0: (laughs) you know it. no we are in in full-blown spring here uh, which is a blessing in Calgary so you are um, working for the Center for bioethical reform Um, but before we dive into your role at CBR tell me a little bit about yourself tell me a little bit about who you are what makes you tick Just just a little bit about Lincoln. Who are you?
1: Yeah, man. Um, Well, I grew up near Atlanta, Georgia, in a Christian homeschool family. So, um, you know, definitely used to the hot summers and the warm weather and the mugginess, the the paradise of the South there. I was the second of six children and uh, attended a small Bible school in South Carolina. So, kind of the Southeast area of the United States is kind of what I've called home for pretty much all my life. I've lived in about, I guess, five different states at this point, but they've all been connected to each other. So furthest from home than any of the other siblings, but but still close enough to, to stick near the family. Uh when I'm not out, you know, doing activism or here at the CBR office doing work, I tend to be either out on the river kayaking or uh running. It's something I've enjoyed kind of taking up this year. Uh, always been a big bookworm. I love reading a variety of different books, preferably all at the same time. If I can have three to five books I'm reading simultaneously, it's it's like a recipe, you know. You're you don't want to just read one book. That's like reading eating one meal, you know, for the whole day. Like that doesn't work. Uh, I like just uh, weapons, guns, knives. I've just always kind of had a fascination with that uh, hobby. Maybe it's the American thing, you know. We all like our guns. Uh, board games, uh, epic music, just yeah, some of the things that I tend to be into and doing when I'm not out here working
0: very cool very cool you and I had had the opportunity to do some outreach down in the state of Florida um, I and see. I got to know you a bit there and and I I think that if we were closer in proximity we'd probably do be doing a lot of these things together so um, oh, that's yeah. real neat
1: we uh, we'd, we'd have some real epic risk tournaments I'm sure
0: yes 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 I would definitely be into that um, so tell me, how does a guy growing up um, just outside of Atlanta, Georgia, bounced around a little bit, Bible College um, in South Carolina, how does a guy from that turn into working full time in the pro-life movement? Tell me a little bit about how you got involved and, and what that looked like for you.
1: Well, it's, it's kind of neat to look back at the, the seeds that were planted well long before anything like this was on my radar because I, I grew up in a home, it was a very conservative church, and it was very pro-life, and so that was always my stance, just kind of by default, until I was old enough to really understand what it meant, but um, was never really involved in doing much of anything for for most of that time, but I do remember even as a as a child, probably in my, I don't know, maybe I was like 11, 12, maybe my early teens, that my mom would sit down and read to us. And she would get the family around and she read Corrie Boone's book, The Hiding Place, which is the account of the Dutch woman in Nazi-occupied Holland who hid Jews. You know, her and her sister and her dad, they were watchmakers, hid Jews up in their house and and saved a lot of lives and and suffered for that. Actually, she lost her family um, in that and was the one who survived. But you know, you read that story, and then I guess it was about maybe 11, 12 years ago, I ended up reading the big Bonhoeffer uh, biography that had come out by uh, Eric Metaxas, I think. And you know, like maybe it's a homeschool thing, but you know, we're always fascinated with history, and you read these stories, and you always think you just naturally project yourself into it as, oh, I would have been Bonhoeffer, I would have been and Boom, I would have been doing the same thing they did, I would have been standing up. To save Jews against the Nazis, but th- there came a time, and I was um, I was living in a in Georgia, kind of a, a little far further from home. It was about an hour and a half from where I grew up. But I had this great church I was going to, and the pastor there mentioned from the pulpit that the local pro life group was having a march in downtown uh, Columbus, Georgia. And um, I was working a job where I kind of came in. In the evenings, usually. And so I thought, hey, yeah, I'll just, you know, it's a Monday at noon. I'll, I'll show up for that. That sounds good. And there just came this point, Cameron, while I was doing that, where I got personally convicted because it, it was very easy and just kind of the, the environment I grew up in for me to look, project out, and to look at the, all those people and those liberals and people who have abortions and, oh, that's so terrible. How can they do that? and you, you know we're I, i'm sure you've you've studied this and looked at this you know when jesus talks about judge not lest you be judged in the gospel of matthew that's not saying that we're not to judge and discern right and wrong you know including injustices in other people and cultures it means that we have to take that standard first and apply it to ourselves and um it's, it's just very easy for us to expect other people to Repent or be broken over their own sin and not first have come to that place ourselves, so that was that was just a breaking point for me where I kind of knew in an instant that this was what God was calling me to because I realized that you know for all the things I could say about other people, a lot of them arguably may have not fully known better or at least not had the truth to the extent that I did and I was just convicted of my apathy, realizing that I knew what was right I mean I knew that abortion was wrong that it's murdering an innocent child but how could i believe that and not be doing something and 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 it came i remember in the march it came right back to to those historical real people that i had been so fascinated by and and reading up on that how can i say i would have done something back then when there was a real cost for doing it and i'm not willing to just you know go peacefully on a sidewalk and try to offer help to a a pregnant mother walking to the clinic, you know, in a way that's perfectly legal and peaceful. The most I'll have happen is, you know, be cussed at, maybe. And so that was kind of how it started. And um so from there I was doing sidewalk counseling probably once or twice a week. I started I was able to lead a pro-life book study at my church that I was attending. There was a local FM radio station that had this he would kind of do this conservative Talk show thing, and he would have me on once a week just to discuss pro life and abortion related issues. And uh, so it was kind of the thing I was doing on all my off time. You know, I was working just a regular job, and and then one day, this uh, organization, the Center for Bioethical Reform, they got in touch with our local pro life chapter there in the city, and they were trying to recruit full time staff members. And uh, the president of the group referred them to me, and um, I, I will say, I'm sure your, your listeners are probably familiar with the, you know, what you do with the pictures and, and kind of the history of that. And when I heard about that, you know, maybe this isn't usual, but for me, it, it never occurred to me to be against using the pictures because it, it was just the most natural, intuitive thing. Like, of course, if we're this is happening, this is real and this is something we're outraged by. Why wouldn't we want to shout it from the rooftops? Why would we not want Everyone who drives on a busy interstate to see what's going on behind closed doors and and you know obviously so there's some tweaking in terms of you know our our comfort level with doing it different places or with different venues um, so that's evolved some, but I think that's something that's always made sense to me and and when I heard about it as something you could do full time i I almost didn't even have to pray about it because it was just like, hey, this is what i've already been praying for here's the answer to my prayers. sign me up and uh, the rest, I say, is history.
0: Bingo. And here you are. Here you are leading activism and, and campus tours and the whole shebang throughout the southeast of, of America. Um, and I'm sure that that you've even gone beyond that. And so I, I find that so interesting. And I think that dovetails so perfectly with, with what um, Scott Klusendorf often talks about, that, that nobody – decides to enter the pro-life movement it's more of a summoning it's more of a journey into it that the the path is laid and and uh, whether it's the the scale is falling from our eyes or whether it's something else and we just realize like boom here i am here's what needs to be done and i have this incredible opportunity so i praise god that you were able to to pursue that and since since you you kind of gave that yes and, and went down that road, I'd love to hear maybe a, a memory or two that stands out for, um, for you and your time working in the pro-life movement. What stands out as something really, really cool that's happened to you?
1: Oh, man, there's so many. Um, I mean, there's, there's always just the, the surprising number of conversations we have with individuals who, and, and this is usually... The person who just comes up and they're willing to talk to you one on one, you know, apart from just all the noise and clamor of the group and the group think that's, you know, usually protesting us. And but but we get those. And to me, it's just always amazing how like this one guy in particular, I think he was the University of Kentucky. And, you know, there's a lot of hubbub and noise and protests going on on one side of our big constructed display with the pictures. But this guy was just kind of on like the backside looking at pictures, you know, over there where they it was kind of alone and, and I just kind of stood next to him asking, you know, what do you think? And it was really fascinating because this individual was very historically literate. So when, you know, on on the display we have, I think the one y'all have is probably a little bit the panels are and the message are somewhat different. But a lot of our panels have to do with, you know, genocide and historical historically recognized injustices and this particular guy was just very focused in on that. And, you know, he would ask questions and I would try to give him an answer. And we just made that comparison about how, you know, we're talking about two different groups of humans here, but they're both groups of humans. And it's the dehumanization factor that leads to the atrocity of them being killed. And, and all the while, you know, when we have these conversations, we're always referencing the picture that we're both looking at and trying to, you know, it's not, face-to-face necessarily it's more side-to-side looking exploring the truth and at the end of the conversation this one last we i don't usually have 45 minute conversations but this was you know a longer one and and he at the end he's just shakes his head he's like yeah man you know the the liberal inside of me wants to be pro-choice about abortion but just you know between hearing the arguments and seeing it for myself i just can't justify that position and and we get so much of that and it's always fascinating to me because it seems like, you know, on the flip side, when you have this group together and I've served this everywhere I go, you guys have seen this too. I'm sure that you'll have the the group and their focus is, Hey, we're not going to talk to these people. We're not here to engage them. We're here to protest them and they will try to cover us up. They'll try to censor our message. They'll, you know, the favorite thing that I'm sure you've heard up, you probably hear it in your sleep now It's free condoms. You know, they're out there shouting that. And we had that on this last trip and, and it just strikes me like when you have the group and they're not willing to be open-minded and think for themselves and, and come up and they, you know, de- disagree with us, debate with us, but like actually come and let's talk about the facts here. You know, that's effective, but when you get them all just together where they don't want to engage, it's just, Fascinating because it's so clear it, it that there's this this covering up of the truth of this this distraction where it's like we don't want other people to see this, we don't want to engage with what this is, we're gonna distract you with hedonism, we're gonna distract you with free condoms and just the thought of pleasure, the thought of distraction and you know, free cakes and, and just all this stuff that is geared towards making people feel good about the euphemisms of choice and sex without responsibility and women's rights but not having to see what that actually means and so i I mean this this is one for all the things in life i'm not sure about the pro-life case is so solid and even if it were not just for the arguments that we make that i think are very solid and based in science and philosophy it's just so apparent when you even just look at, you know, if you just were, absol- if you're an alien who's just landed in North America and you just see this going on and you don't know what it's about, but you see one side is selling a hard sell. They're selling responsibility. They're selling a picture of a gory, mangled body like, that nobody likes to see, nobody wants to see. And they're out there willing, they love people enough to do that. And then the other side is trying to, to appeal to, you know, your your physical desires and to you know, they they'll put up some song that everybody a pop song that oh, everyone, you know, recognizes that and dances to it and we're we're going to just dance, we're going to not think about this. I tell you, man, it just it further entrenches me to realize that not only there are the arguments solid, but there's this personal behavior that we see where one side is trying to share a truth that is a hard truth, whereas the other side is doing all that they can, not to share an opposing viewpoint that they think is true, but to distract. And the difference is night and day, and I would encourage anyone to come out and watch that for themselves if they haven't.
0: Yeah, and and I mean, there's a million... There's a a million things in there that I I could um, unpack. And I I think it's so good that you you mentioned those pictures. Right. And and I, I find it interesting that you put a picture out in the public. You don't put any words on it or anything. And everybody knows that if you're holding that picture, you're protesting abortion just yes. by looking at abortion abortion protests itself i think that's yes. such an important message for people to understand that you might not be eloquent you might not be the most prepared to have these conversations but guess what not only will the lord prepare you for those conversations not only are there groups like ccbr and cbr and countless others to prepare you for those conversations but if you present the visual evidence of what abortion does to a preborn child you will change minds on abortion simply yeah. by people realizing that that is a human being who's been ripped apart and that is not a good thing to do
1: <laughs> so yeah. and, and you you pointed out well like you know the this past trip we had we were in nashville and we had this panel that we don't use it very often but all it is is just a 10 foot sign with a i think an 8 or a 10 week aborted fetus and just the word 10 week abortion no stance no this is right or wrong just this is what it is and and these women come up to me to talk and they're disgusted by it. And they say that, Oh, you're disgusting. And, and in hindsight, you know, we do this, I do this all the time, man. You probably do this in our sleep. It's like, okay, that conversation I had, Oh, this is what I should have said. This is what I wish I had said. And it occurred to me later after the fact to, I need to respond and say, what makes you think I am against abortion? like we're showing the sign, but I mean, why there's nothing on here to say what you should or should not do. So what is it about showing abortion that makes you automatically assume that I am against it? I mean, like you said, it, it protests itself.
0: Yeah. You, you think about every other marketing campaign out there they're going to show what this product does to enhance your life. And, and I can't think of a single pro abortion group that is going to show abortion and, and hope that in, in, it inspires a a positive association and so bearing all of that in mind lincoln for for somebody who watches this video and says you know what you're right i have been on the sidelines of um, the pro life conversation for too long i'm i think that i'm ready what would you say to them to just push them over the edge so that they do they go out they get connected with their local group they get connected with cbr what could somebody do And what would you say to get them just that little bit more over the edge to get them actively involved?
1: Yeah, um, there's a couple of things. For one, I would point out that for most of us, the other ministry and professional roles that we could pursue, those are things that would easily be filled by someone else if we were gone. And I can't say, and I'm I'm not going to sit here and tell from an individual level from a micro level oh this is what god wants you to do i know god's plan for your life but from a from a macro level at least when i back up and i just see the number of christians in particular who oh god's calling me to be you know a pastor or a youth pastor or you know to minister to this group or that group or to get in business like those are good things and i'm not i'm not disparaging i'm not putting those things down but it, it is striking that you know for all of us who hold this position where we know that children are literally being killed every day and that it's legal and that it's celebrated in our wicked culture. It just baffles me that there's all these other opportunities that people are pursuing that, you know, someone else would fill. And then there's this mission field over here where it's the leading cause of death and we're not stepping up to the plate. And I guess I would just encourage people you know don't wait for feelings of passion to do it step out in obedience you know as i think it's uh, father frank Pavone, priest for life he says that we cannot adjust this battle to fit our lives we are called to adjust our lives to fit this battle and there's there's the unique aspect of our cause cameron you know that the victims are completely helpless and they depend on someone else to act on their behalf and i think because because the victims are unknown and unseen and they're they're, they're strangers to us. And we don't actually have to, there's not a personal connection that we feel because, you know, we often don't see it. We don't see the pictures unless, you know, we're driving by where you guys are, or we're set up somewhere. And so even among those of us who are pro-life, we tend to treat this casually. Um, It's one one of my many pet thieves is, you know, we, we use this term life. You know, oh, we're going to have a march for life. We're going to do a this for life and stand for life. And, and and I'm not, you know, I'm not criticizing people who do that, or use those terms. But it's just the subtle semantic implication that we view this this abstract thing called life. It's an it, and we don't th- we don't view this cost through the lens of lives plural. You know, personal, individual lives that are at stake. And so. Yeah, I would just encourage people to to take that mindset, to think of this in terms of if I were the victim and I were completely helpless, wouldn't I want someone to stand up and fight for my life as if it was theirs with the same sense of urgency and priority? Because we, we just don't. Um, a second thing I, I just want to point out, too, and this is my I guess I'll leave with some controversial Comments here. I I don't know if you guys are into controversy or not, but uh, this movement needs this movement needs more men. The world lies to us and it encourages us, particularly as men, you know, to you know, on the one hand, to objectify women and to walk away from the responsibility. You know, you get her pregnant, you sleep with her and then you just walk away and leave her to deal with either raising the kid or or killing the kid or having a doctor kill the kid. But then even within the pro-life church and the pro-life community we tend to stand by the sidelines and treat this as a women's issue and um and i have to be very careful i say this i love love the work of pregnancy resource centers they are so needed and i have friends who work in them i've been on the board of of one and and i don't want us to have less of that but It frustrates me to no end, if I'm being frank. That if I go to any church, at least in the United States, any solid pro-life church, and and you start to dig into what what that means in terms of action, that you're pro-life, the answer is always, oh, we we donate to the local pregnancy resource center. Okay, go on. No, that's it. And 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 Cameron, there's just there's no vision. I don't know if it's any different in Canada. There's but there's no. Vision for actually ending the killing, and so the only vision there is is, hey, we're just every year we're going to do a fundraiser, every year we're going to, you know, have a, a gala, or we're going to fill some baby bottles with change or something, to get people to give money and feel like they've done their pro-life deed. And given the urgency of of the injustice that's going on, you know, that should be the very bare minimum. That should be something we do out of Christian charity, not because we're pro-life. That, that's just the nice thing to do because we're Christians. And so, um, and and I, I know we don't have a lot of time. I don't, this could be like a whole nother podcast, but it seems to me, my observation is that when when men have stood down and, and God has given them a, a gift and I'm speaking in general terms, but there's that gift of willingness to stand up and be confrontational and to storm the gates of hell and to, to take kind of more of a, a fighting mentality, you know, obviously, we're, we're peaceful. We're not you know, advocating violence, but you have to go up and confront the culture. And when, when men aren't doing that, you know, and again, I'm speaking in general terms, a lot of the movement is led by the more feminine traits of compassion and nurturing. And, hey, we want to help come alongside mothers in need and women who are scared. And again, I'm not saying do not hear me say that we don't need that and that that is not a beautiful thing and a blessing that I want to encourage. But we we don't need less of that, but we need more men than we have who are willing to stand up and to be a man and to confront the culture and not just leave this battle. You know, I think it was Gianna Jensen, the abortion survivor, young lady. She there's a YouTube video of her kind of getting a scathing rebuke to pro-life men saying, you know, I'm tired of fighting this battle for you. I want you to step up as a man and and take up the flag. And so. That is really my encouragement to your listeners and to people I meet in general that, you know, ladies, please get involved. We need women of compassion and we need women of courage. There's some really courageous women I work alongside and you work alongside who go out and do this with us. But we need some dudes, too. And don't let the world tell you, don't let the culture cower you into silencing your voice because you're a man. 100%.
0: 100%. I can't think of a better note to end on um, there, Lincoln. That's what we're all about. We, um, Myself, my, my co-host, Peter, we are the pro-life guys. We are working to mobilize, like you said, everybody, but in a special way, the men in our world because not only are men a huge part of the problem but men need to be a huge part of the solution we need men of courage we need men, a men of honor who are going out there and engaging in the culture effectively if you're one of those men or if you're one of those ladies please consider tuning in to our program um, every week we're putting out more and more tips and tools on how to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion you can find the pro-life guys podcast on all your favorite podcast catchers or on our website prolifeguys.com find us on youtube check out more episodes of humans of the pro-life movement there as well and also tune into our monthly program the pulse where we round up all of the abortion related related news and talk about it through a pro-life lens because it's about time pro-lifers start talking about what's going on and start thinking about it from a pro-life worldview. So thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks, uh, Lincoln, for joining me today. This has been a blast. Um, and I wish you all the Lord's blessings in, in the work that you guys are doing this summer. Dan Maren, it's been
1: my pleasure. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work.